Hi, I'm MC Jessie. 大家好，读你听二点零，今日继续读 Miguel de Cervantes 嘅 Don Quixote。我哋读到第二十九节啦，呢节叫做 Which treats of the draw device and method adopted to extricate our love-stricken knight from the severe penance he had imposed upon himself。题目咧就睇到系将个焦点摆翻落去 Don Quixote。咁上一节啊发生咩事咧？牧师啦，同埋理发师啦，正喺度听紧卡 Daniel 佢嘅悲惨故事嘅时候咧，就听到远处咧有一个人咧就喺度洗身喎，咁啊发觉咧呢、这个人咧有一对好靓嘅脚啊，经过佢哋嘅观察咧，就发觉呢个系一个女性，仲要系靓到惊世骇俗嘅女性，而呢个女性咧并唔系必人、哦。佢正正咧就系 Dorothy， 咁佢咧亦都系呢个 Fernando 啊呢个多情种咧嘅受害者嚟嘅，咁而呢个 Fernando 咧亦都直接咧系拆散咗 Cardenio 同埋 Lucinda 嘅一个始作俑者啦，所以 Cardenio 咧一路听住 Dorothy 啊佢悲惨嘅过去啦，佢自己内心咧亦都反涌不定啦，睇下呢一节咧。当杰开提点样挺身而出啊？定系佢先要通过嘅考验，就系牧师同埋领法师反串去引佢出嚟，然之后去三擒嘅呢个陷阱咧吓，点样突破咧？我哋睇一睇。跟住我嚟交俾 Costa 同大家读嚟听。Such, sirs, is the true story of my sad adventures. Judge for yourself now whether the sighs and lamentations you heard. And the tears that flowed from my eyes had not sufficient cause, even if I had indulged in them more freely. And if you consider the nature of my misfortune, you will see that consolation is idle, as there is no possible remedy for it. All I ask of you is what you may easily and reasonably do to show me where I may pass my life unharassed by the fear and dread of discovery by those who are in search of me. For though the great love my parents bear me makes me feel sure of being kindly received by them, so great is my feeling of shame at the mere thought that I cannot present myself before them as they expect, that I had rather banish myself from their sight forever than look them in the face with the reflection that they beheld mine stripped of that purity they had a right to expect in me. With these words, she became silent. And the colour that overspread her face showed plainly the pain and shame she was suffering at heart. In theirs, listeners felt as much pity as wonder at her misfortunes. But as the curate was just about to offer her some consolation and advice, Cardenio forestalled him, saying, "So then, Signora, you are the fair Dorothea, the only daughter of the rich Clenardo." Dorothea was astonished at hearing her father's name, and at the miserable appearance of him who mentioned it. For it has been already said how wretchedly clad Cardenio was. So she said to him, "And who may you be, brother, who seem to know my father's name so well? For so far, if I remember rightly, I have not mentioned it in the whole story of my misfortunes. I am that unhappy being, Signora," replied Cardenio, "whom, as you have said, Lucinda declared to be her husband. I am the unfortunate Cardenio, whom the wrong doing of him who has brought you to your present condition." Has reduced to the state you see me in, bare, ragged, bereft of all human comfort, and what is worse, of reason, 
or I only possess it when heaven is pleased for some short space to restore it to me. I, Dorothea, am he who witnessed the wrong done by Don Fernando, and waited to hear the yes uttered by which Lucinda owned herself his betrothed. I am he who had not courage enough to see how her fainting fit ended, or what came of the paper that was found in her bosom, because my heart had not the fortitude to endure so many strokes of ill fortune at once. And so, losing patience, I quitted the house, and leaving a letter with my host, which I entreated him to place in the Thinder's hands, I betook myself to these solitudes, resolved to end here the life I hated as if it were my mortal enemy. But fate would not rid me of it, contenting itself with robbing me of my reason, perhaps to preserve me for the good fortune I have had in meeting you. For if that which you have just told us be true, as I believe it to be, it may be that heaven has yet in store for both of us a happier termination to our misfortunes than we look for. Because seeing that Lucinda cannot marry Don Fernando, being mine, as she has herself so openly declared, and that Don Fernando cannot marry her as he is yours, we may reasonably hope that heaven will restore to us what is ours, as it is still in existence and not yet alienated or destroyed. And as we have this consolation springing from no very visionary hope or wild fancy, I entreat you, Signora, to form new resolutions in your better mind, as I mean to do in mine, preparing yourself to look forward to happier fortunes. For I swear to you by the faith of a gentleman and a Christian not to desert you until I see you in possession of Don Fernando, and if I cannot by words induce him to recognize his obligation to you, in that case to avail myself of the right which my rank as a gentleman gives me, and with just cause challenge him on account of the injury he has done you, not regarding my own wrongs, which I shall leave to heaven to avenge, while I on earth devote myself to yours. Cardenio's words completed the astonishment of Dorothea, and not knowing how to return thanks for such an offer, she attempted to kiss his feet, but Cardenio would not permit it, and the licentiate replied for both, commended the sound reasoning of Cardenio, and lastly begged, advised, and urged them to come with him to his village, where they might furnish themselves with what they needed, and take measures to discover Don Fernando or restore Dorothea to her parents, or do what seemed to them most advisable. Cardenio and Dorothea thanked him, and accepted the kind offer he made them, and the barber, who had been listening to all attentively and in silence, on his part some kindly words also, and with no less goodwill than the curate offered his services in any way that might be of use to them. He also explained to them in a few words the object that had brought them there, and the strange nature of Don Quixote's madness, and how they were waiting for his squire, who had gone in search of him. Like the recollection of a dream, the quarrel he had had with Don Quixote came back to Cardenio's memory, and he described it to the others, but he was unable to say what the dispute was about. At this moment they heard a shout, and recognized it as coming from Sancho Panza, who, not finding them where he had left them, was calling aloud to them. They went to meet him, and in answer to their inquiries about Don Quixote, he told them how he had found him stripped to his shirt, lank, yellow, half-dead with hunger, and sighing for his lady Dothenia. And although he had told him that she commanded him to quit that place and come to El Toboso, where she was expecting him, he had answered that he was determined not to appear in the presence of a beauty until he had done deeds to make him worthy of a favour. And if this went on, Sancho said, 
he ran the risk of not becoming an emperor as in duty bound, or even an archbishop, which was the least he could be, for which reason they ought to consider what was to be done to get him away from there. The licentiate in reply told him not to be uneasy, for they would fetch him away in spite of himself. He then told Cadenio and Dorothea what they had proposed to do to cure Don Quixote, or at any rate take him home, upon which Dorothea said that she could play the distressed damsel better than the barber, especially as she had there the dress in which to do it to life, and that they might trust to her acting the part in every particular requisite for carrying out their scheme, for she had read a great many books of chivalry and knew exactly the style in which afflicted damsels back boons of knights errant. In that case, said the curate, there is nothing more required than to set about it at once, for beyond a doubt fortune is declaring itself in our favour, since it has no unexpectedly begun to open the door for your relief, and smoothed the way for us to our object. Dorothea then took out of her pillowcase a complete petticoat of some rich stuff, and a green mantle of some other fine material, and a necklace and other ornaments out of a little box, and with these in an instant, she so arrayed herself that she looked like a great and rich lady. All this and more, she said, she had taken from home in case of need, but that until then she had had no occasion to make use of it. They were all highly delighted with her grace, air and beauty, and declared Don Fernando to be a man of very little taste when he rejected such charms. But the one who admired her most was Sancho Panza, for it seemed to him that in all the days of his life he had never seen such a lovely creature and he asked the curate with great eagerness who this beautiful lady was, and what she wanted in these out-of-the-way quarters. This fair lady, Brother Sancho, replied the curate, is no less a personage than the heiress in the direct male line of the great kingdom of Mikomiko, who has come in search of your master to beg a boon of him, which is that he redress a wrong or injury that the wicked giant has done him, and from the fame as a good knight which your master has acquired far and wide, this princess has come from Guinea to seek him. A lucky seeking and a lucky finding, said Sancho Pandarius, especially if the master has the good fortune to redress that injury and right that wrong and kill that son of a mm, of a giant your worship speaks of, as kill him he will if he meets him, unless indeed he happens to be a phantom, for my master has no power at all against phantoms. But one thing among others I would beg of you, Signor Lancetio, which is that prevent my master taking a fancy to be an archbishop, for that is what I'm afraid of. Your worship would recommend him to marry this princess at once, for in this way he will be disabled from taking archbishop's orders, and will easily come into his empire, and I to the end of my desires. I have been thinking over the matter carefully, and by what I can make out I find it will not do for me that my master should become an archbishop, because I am no good for the church, as I am married, and for me now, having as I have a wife and children, to set about obtaining dispensations to enable me to hold a place of profit under the church would be endless work. So that, Signor, it all turns on my master marrying this lady at once, for as yet I do not know her grace, and so I cannot call her by her name. She is called the Princess Mikomikona, said the curate, for as her kingdom is Mikomikon, it is clear that must be her name. And there is no doubt of that, replied Sancho. For I have known many to take their name and title from the place where they were born and call themselves Pedro of Alcala, Juan of Ubida, and Diego of Fayadillo. And it may be that over there in Guinea, queens have the same way of taking the names of their kingdoms. So it may, said the curate. And as for your master's marriage, 
I will do all in your power towards it. With which Sancho was as much pleased as the curate was amazed at his simplicity and at seeing what a hold the absurdities of his master had taken of his fancy, for he had evidently persuaded himself that he was going to be an emperor. By this time, Dorothy had seated herself upon the curate's mule, and the barber had fitted the oxtail beard to his face, and they now told Sancho to conduct them to where Don Quixote was, warning him not to say that he knew either the licentiate or the barber. As his master's becoming an emperor entirely depended on his not recognizing him, neither the curate nor Cardenio, however, thought fit to go with him. Cardenio, lest he should remind Don Quixote of the quarrel he had with him, and the curate, as there was no necessity for his presence just yet, so they allowed the others to go on before them, while they themselves followed slowly on foot. The curate did not forget to instruct Dorothy how to act, but she said they might make their minds easy. As everything would be done exactly as the books of chivalry required and described, they had gone about three quarters of a league when they discovered Don Quixote in the wilderness of rocks. By this time, clothed but without his armor, and as soon as Dorothy saw him and was told by Sancho that that was Don Quixote, she whipped her palfrey. The well-bearded barber followed her, and on coming up to him, the squire sprang from his mule and came forward to receive her in his arms. And she, dismounting with great ease of manner, advanced to kneel before the feet of Don Quixote. And though he strove to raise her up, she, without rising, addressed him in this fashion: "From this spot I will not rise, valiant and doughty knight, until your goodness and courtesy grant me a boon, which will rebound to the honour and renown of your person and render service to the most disconsolate and afflicted damsel the sun has seen." And if the might of your strong arm corresponds to the repute of your immortal fame, you are bound to aid the helpless being who, led by the savour of your renowned name, have come from far distant lands to seek your aid in her misfortunes. I will not answer a word, beauteous lady," replied Don Quixote. "Nor would I listen to anything further concerning you until you rise from the earth." "I will not rise, señor," answered the afflicted damsel, "unless of your courtesy the boon I ask is first granted me." I grant and accord it," said Don Quixote, "provided without detriment or prejudice to my king, my country, or her who holds the key of my heart and freedom, it may be complied with. It will not be the detriment or prejudice of any of them, my worthy lord," said the afflicted damsel. And here Sancho Panza drew close to his master's ear and said to him very softly, "Your worship may very safely grant the boon she asks. It's nothing at all, only to kill a big giant." And she who asks it is the exalted princess Mikomikana, queen of the great kingdom of Mikomikin of Ethiopia. Let her be who she may," replied Don Quixote. "I will do what is my bounden duty, and what my conscience bids me, in conformity with what I have professed." And turning to the damsel, he said, "Let your great beauty rise, for I grant the boon which you would ask of me." Then what I ask," said the damsel, "is that your magnanimous person accompany me at once, whither I will conduct you." And that you promise not to engage in any other adventure or quest until you have avenged me of a traitor who, against all human and divine law, has usurped my kingdom. I repeat that I grant it," replied Don Quixote. "And so, lady, you may from this day forth lay aside the melancholy that distresses you, and let your failing hopes gather new life and strength. For with the help of God and of my arm, you will soon see yourself restored to your kingdom, and seated upon the throne of your ancient and mighty realm." Notwithstanding, and despite of the villains who would gainsay it, and now hands to the work, for in delay there is apt to be danger. 
The distressed damsel strove with much pertinacity to kiss his hands, but Don Quixote, who was in all things a polished and courteous knight, would by no means allow it, but made her rise and embraced her with great courtesy and politeness, and ordered Sancho to look to Rocinante's skirts and to arm him without a moment's delay. Sancho took down the armor, which was hung up on a tree like a trophy, and having seen to the girths, armed his master in a trice. Who, as soon as he found himself in his armor, exclaimed, "Let us be gone in the name of God to bring aid to this great lady!" The barber was all this time on his knees, at great pains to hide his laughter and not let his beard fall. For had it fallen, maybe their fine scheme would have come to nothing. But now, seeing the boon granted and the promptitude with which Don Quixote prepared to set out in compliance with it, he rose and took his lady's hand. Between them, they placed her upon the mule. Don Quixote then mounted Rocinante, and the barber settled himself on his beast. Sancho being left to go on foot, which made him feel anew the loss of his dapple, finding the want of him now. But he bore all with cheerfulness, being persuaded that his master had now fairly started and was just on the point of becoming an emperor, for he felt no doubt at all that he would marry this princess and be king of Mikamikan at least. The only thing that troubled him was the reflection that this kingdom was in the hand of the blacks, and that the people they would give him for vassals would be all black. But for this, he soon found a remedy in his fancy, and said he to himself, "What is it to me if my vassals are blacks? What more have I to do than make a cargo of them and carry them to Spain, where I can sell them and get ready money for them, and with it buy some title or some office in which to live at ease all the days of my life?" Not unless you go to sleep and haven't the wit or skill to turn things to account to sell three, six, or ten thousand vessels while you would be talking about it. By God, I will stir them up, big and little, or as best I can, and let them be ever so black. I'll turn them into white or yellow. Come, come, what a fool I am! And so he jogged on, so occupied with his thoughts and easy in his mind that he forgot all about the hardship of travelling on foot. Cardenio and the curate were watching all this from among some bushes, not knowing how to join company with the others. But the curate, who was very fertile in devices, soon hit upon a way of effecting their purpose. And with a pair of scissors he had in a case, he quickly cut off Cardenio's beard, and putting on him a grey jerkin of his own, he gave him a black cloak, leaving himself in his breeches and doublet. While Cardenio's appearance was so different from what it had been that he would not have known himself had he seen himself in the mirror, having effected this, although the others had gone on ahead while they were disguising themselves, they easily came out on the high road before them. For the brambles and awkward places they encountered did not allow those on horseback to go as fast as those on foot. They then posted themselves on the level ground at the outlet in the Sierra. And as soon as Don Quixote and his companions emerged from it, the curate began to examine him very deliberately, as though he was striving to recognize him. And after having stared at him for some time, he hastened towards him with open arms, exclaiming, "A happy meeting with the mirror of chivalry, my worthy compatriot Don Quixote of La Mancha, the flower and cream of high breeding, the protection and relief of the distressed, the quintessence of knights errant." And so saying, he clasped in his arms the knee of Don Quixote's left leg. He, astonished at the stranger's words and behavior, looked at him attentively, and at length recognized him. Very much surprised to see him there, and made great efforts to dismount. This, however, the curate would not allow. On which Don Quixote said, "Permit me, Señor Licentiate, for it is not fitting that I should be on horseback and so reverend a person as your worship on foot." 
On no account will I allow it, said the curate. Your mightiness must remain on horseback, for it is on horseback you achieved the greatest deeds and adventures that have been beheld in our age. As for me, an unworthy priest, it will serve me well enough to mount on the haunches of one of the mules of these gentlefolk who accompany your worship, if they have no objection. And I will fancy I am mounted on the steep Pegasus, or on the zebra or charger that bore the famous Moor Muzarake, who to this day lies enchanted in the great hill of Sulima, a little distance from the great Complumtum. Not even that will I consent to, Signor Licentiate, answered Don Quixote, and I know it will be the good pleasure of my lady the princess, out of love for me, to order a squire to give up the saddle of his mule to your worship, and he can sit behind if the beast will bear it. It will, I am sure, said the princess, and I am sure, too, that I need not order my squire, for he is too courteous and considerate to allow a churchman to go on foot when he might be mounted. That he is, said the barber, and at once alighting. He offered his saddle to the curate, who accepted it without much entreaty. But unfortunately, as the barber was mounting behind, the mule, being as it happened a hired one, which is the same thing as saying ill-conditioned, lifted its hind hoofs and let fly a couple kicks in the air, which would have made Master Nicholas wish his expedition in quest of Don Quixote at the devil had they caught him on the breast or head. As it was, they so took him by surprise that he came to the ground, giving so little heat to his beard that it fell off, and all he could do when he found himself without it was to cover his face hastily with both his hands and moan that his teeth were knocked out. Don Quixote, when he saw all that bundle of beard detached, without jaws or blood, from the face of the fallen squire, exclaimed, by the living God, but this is a great miracle. It has knocked off and plucked away the beard from his face as if it had been shaved off decidedly. The curate, seeing the danger of discovery that threatened his scheme, at once pounced upon the beard and hastened with it to where Master Nicholas lay, still uttering moans, and drawing his head to his breast, had it on in an instant, muttering over him some words which he said were a certain special charm for sticking on beards, as they would see, and as soon as he had fixed it he left him, and the squire appeared well bearded and whole as before, whereat Don Quixote was beyond measure astonished, and begged the curate to teach him that charm when he had the opportunity, as he was persuaded his virtue must extend beyond the sticking on the beards, for it was clear that when the beard had been stripped off the flesh, must have remained torn and lacerated, and when it could heal all, that it must be good for more than beards. And so it is, said the curate, and he promised to teach it to him on the first opportunity. He then agreed that for the present the curate should mount, and that the three should ride by turns until they reached the inn, which might be about six leagues from where they were. The three then being mounted, that is to say, Don Quixote, the princess, and the curate, and three on foot, Cadenio, the barber, and Sancho Panza. Don Quixote said to them, Let your highness, lady, lead on whithersoever is the most pleasing to you. But before she can answer the licentiate said, Towards what kingdom would your ladyship direct our course? Is it perchance towards that of Mikomikan? It must be, or else I know little about kingdoms. She, being ready on all points, understood that she was to answer yes. So she said, Yes, Signor, my way lies towards that kingdom. In that case, said the curate, we must pass right through my village, and there your worship will take the road to Catagen, where you will be able to embark fortune favouring, and if the wind be fair and the sea smooth and tranquil, in somewhat less than nine years you may come in sight of the great lake in Mion, I mean Miotites, which is little more than a hundred days' journey this side of your highness' kingdom. Your worship is mistaken, Signor, 
said she, for it is not two years since I set out from it, and though I never had good weather, nevertheless I am here to behold what I so long for, and that is my Lord Don Quixote of La Mancha, whose fame came to my ears as soon as I set foot in Spain and impelled me to go in search of him, to commend myself to his courtesy, and entrust the justice of my cause to the might of his invincible arm. Enough, no more praise, said Don Quixote at this, for I hate all flattery, and though this may not be so, still language of the kind is offensive to my chest ears. I will only say, Signora, that which it may or may not have shall be devoted to your service even to death. And now, leaving this to its proper season, I would ask the Signor Licentiate to tell me what it is that has brought him into these parts, alone, unattended, and so lightly clad that I am filled with amazement. I will answer that briefly," replied the curate. "You must know that, Signor Don Quixote, that Master Nicholas, our friend and barber, and I were going to Seville to receive some money that a relative of mine who went to the Indies many years ago had sent me, and not such a small sum, but that it was over sixty thousand pieces of eight full weight, which is something. And passing by this place yesterday, we were attacked by four footpads." Stripped us even to our beards, and them they stripped off so that the barber found it necessary to put on a false one. And even this young man here, pointing to Cardenio, they completely transformed. But the best of it is, the story goes in the neighborhood that those who attacked us belonged to a number of galley slaves who, they say, were set free almost on the very same spot by a man of such valor that, in spite of the commissary and of the guards, he released the whole of them. And beyond all doubt, he must have been out of his senses, or he must be as great a scoundrel as they, or some man without heart or conscience to let the wolf loose among the sheep, the fox among the hens, the fly among the mice. He has defrauded justice and opposed his king and lawful master, for he opposed his just commands. He has, I say, robbed the galleys of their feet, stirred up the holy brotherhood which for many years past has been quiet, and lastly. Has done the deed by which his soul may be lost without any gain to his body. Sancho had told the curate and the barber of the adventure of the galley slaves, which, so much to his glory, his master had achieved. And hence, the curate, in alluding to it, made the most of it to see what would be said or done by Don Quixote, who changed colour at every word, not daring to say that it was he who had been the liberator of those worthy people. These then, said the curate, were they who robbed us. And God, in His mercy, pardon him who would not let them go to the punishment they deserved. 唔该晒 Costa， 好呢一次完啦。转眼间就揾到 Tom Quixote 啦，而呢英雄救美嘅戏咧，就由 Dorothea 咧自荐做呢个 Damsel in Distress， 假冒身份话自己系一个非洲公主，就受奸人所害。个详情其实冇讲清楚嘅，佢只系不停咁样咧夸张 Tom Quixote。就話佢響富城呢件事咧，就一定要佢出手相助，就冇講清楚啊，只係叫佢咧去擊殺呢個巨人嘅啫。咁究竟發生咩事，其實係唔知嘅。咁但係當叫我哋，當然係見到對方係美女啦，騎士精神咧又再一次發作啦，二話不説咧就搭上旅程。咁旅程開始冇耐咧，就牧師啦同 Padania 又歸隊啦。转眼间咧，亦都将个路程又带翻翻去牧师嘅村庄，其实就欺骗当见我提啦吓，讲咧就系话翻去呢个非洲国家嘅路上。好，我哋睇下呢一字有啲咩字，同大家分享。诶、呃，个题目有写呢个呢个字 draw， 
D R O L L draw draw device draw 係一個形容詞嚟嘅，佢意思就係 curious or unusual in a way that provokes dry amusement 滑稽啊，可笑啊。咁呢個字就形容佢哋反串啦嚇，想扮女人去人啊，當健康題去英雄救命啊，一個 draw device 啊嚇，男人扮女人啊，滑稽可笑。promptitude promptitude P R O M P T 就係 prompt 啊 ，promptitude 名詞嚟嘅。The quality of acting quickly and without delay， 迅速啊，敏捷都係形容當結果地好迅速咁樣。In promptitude 就去答應 Dorothea， 答應去上路啦。Decidedly，decidedly，D E S I G N E D L Y，decide 啊，設計啦 ，decidedly。就係一個副詞嚟嘅，啊比較少同大家分享。意思即係 deliberately in order to produce a specific effect， 形容動作嘅一個故意嘅設計。好，今日嚟到呢度，下一節再大家讀嚟聽。拜拜。If you like this video, make sure to comment, like, share, and subscribe to Costa. See you next Friday.